Hey, this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase it all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For this education episode, we have our first interview of 2024, and I feel like we're going to discuss a topic that is fairly large in sports and sports medicine, but doesn't get as much attention, I feel like. I feel like it did for a hot minute, but then people got over it. Yeah, and I feel like it just kind of got kind of pushed into the background, but I feel like talking about underserved communities and just kind of like what some of our athletes are going through is... I feel like that's pretty common in a lot of the settings that we have. I mean, obviously, like on TV, like those higher athletic um, levels, maybe not as sig- like, I don't want to say significant, but not as like present because mm-hmm. of just all the resources mm-hmm. these like universities and pro teams have that makes it seem like, oh, well, there's all these resources. But it's a lot of before and what happens to these athletes after those kind of environments that could really we need to be affecting. Right, exactly. And also, that's why it's so important how we talk about how athletic trainers are sometimes the only healthcare access that yes. an athlete or anyone who you're working with mm-hmm. can have access to. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, I definitely have noticed that where, you know, where I work is I'm probably the first healthcare provider that my athlete has probably actually seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge window of opportunity. Oh, most definitely. So do you want to introduce who we're talking to today? Yes. So who we are interviewing, by the way, both, I'm pretty sure we talked about what our Cal State Fullerton alums, go Titans. (laughs) So Adam Cady holds a bachelor's of science degree in kinesiology slash athletic training from California State University Fullerton and a master's of health science from Duke University. He is also a graduate of the sports medicine fellowship program at the Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado, which we have had a guest way early on Mm -hmm. that did that same uh, uh, fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, Currently, Adam works as a physician associate at Kaiser Permanente in Los Angeles, California. We also had Chris Bates on. Um, He is a certified athletic trainer and strength and conditioning specialist. He is a senior sports medicine manager and head athletic trainer for the USA Water Polo's men's Olympic team. So with this dynamic duo, they really helped put into perspective some of the things that we don't think about on an everyday basis Um, and kind of brought to the forefront some really important topics. So we're excited to share those with you. Adam and Chris, what made you guys become an athletic trainer? Mm. You go, Christopher. Oh, man. This is an easy one for me. Uh, You guys seen the movie Cars? I don't know if Mm -hmm. people have kids, if your listeners have kids, but the best way to put it is, I'm like Toe Mater when it comes to cars, uh, when it comes to being an athletic trainer. Um, I had no clue what an athletic trainer was growing up. Um, my, my, I'll try to make this quick. My dad was a registered nurse. My mom was a recreational therapist. Those, that's a legitimate profession, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, recreational therapy. And uh, anyway, so growing up in a household of healthcare or allied healthcare, my dad worked in a, he worked in a hospital and pediatric intensive care unit. And so I'd go to visit him often. So growing up, it was like, oh man, I had an interest in the medical field, but it was always like, oh, you're going to be a doctor or a whatever, you know? And I'm like, eh, maybe. Okay. Cause I'm smart. And that's kind of the common thing. And that's, that's what the adults would tell me growing up. But as I got older, I'm like, man, I don't, 
doctors, it stinks in hospitals. It, you know, <laughs> I realize it's the smell of antibiotics, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't really want to be a doctor. So I just knew I wanted to do sports medicine. And, but, but that was just because I was a young kid interested in sports, but also mm-hmm. had some proximity to people who were in the medical realm, but it was just as a nurse and a recreational therapist. And I was able to subsequently see doctors or whatever, but not even like orthopedic doctors or surgeon didn't know the difference. And so mm-hmm. fast forward to high school, um, I was got a, had a hall pass to go to the bathroom or something. And on my way back to class, I saw a friend of mine who was going to the library at the high school to hear somebody from our uh, a college talk about, you know, their college. And so I said, oh, here's a reason for me not to go to my boring history class. <laughs> I'm going to the history class and I'm like, oh, hey, I got to go listen to this college, you know, introduction, whatever. Go to the college thing. The lady was from Cal State Fullerton and she she didn't have a clue of what an athletic trainer was either. Oh. But she knew they had a kinesiology program because, you know, they trained her up to sell people on the school enough, uh-huh. right? Hey, we have a... So, Anyway, she gives her spill and I'm like, hey, do you have a sports medicine program? And she's like, yeah, it's called kinesi. She she could barely say kinesiology. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, cool. So I decided on a whim, like I'll enroll in this school and if I get accepted, I'll go. That happened. I get to campus, I visit, and it's not until I step my foot on the campus and start to learn about Cal State Fullerton and in the kinesi department of what an athletic trainer was. And not to mention it was one of the one of the better programs in the country and Julie Max was there at the time mm-hmm. and the rest is history. Toe Mater. And, and that's where we met. Yeah. Oh, so, that's really so. cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a quick little plug, like a part of a, some of the things that we talk about, right. And the work that we do, why we do it is because, you know, just this reality of, people, many people don't know what an athletic trainer Mm -hmm. still today is Mm -hmm. or have an incomplete perspective of, of what it is, um, let alone to be able to get into the field. So I was fortunate and blessed enough to literally be guided there, you know? Um, so like Tomater. Things it was right. (laughs) Yep. Adam, what about you? Well, you guys know Flo from Cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, come on. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm detecting a theme. <laughs> I couldn't think of another oh, uh, another character gosh. from Cars. Um, That's great. Good job. I actually <laughs> I got tricked into healthcare by a Navy recruiter. So I don't have a great story like Chris. I, I, I literally had not a lot of direction in when I was 18, leaving high school. I became a medic for the Marines. When I was leaving the military, I had gotten some level of education done, and I was at community college looking at degree programs because, thankfully, I had a counselor who was giving me some level of direction. And there was these, like, papers in the file folder in the counseling office, and I saw athletic training and kind of looked at the curriculum and thought, well, I was an athlete for most of my life before the military and it really blended the world of sports and, and healthcare for me since I had a foundation from the military and uh, sort of the rest is history. But in hindsight, you know, I, I, don't, I think things happen for a reason. And 
you know, my wife is a former athletic trainer. We met at that community college. Chris, who is very integrated in our family's life and a lot of the work we do, you know, we met at Cal State Fullerton. So there was a purpose. I just didn't know that purpose and that plan at that time of life. So I'm really grateful for where we are today. You know, I got to say, this is the first time that we've had all of us, all four of us on and none of us have had an athletic trainer in high school or in college. And that's not the Mm. pathway. That's usually the pathway that people find athletic training. I think it's really cool that all four of us have discovered Mm. athletic training in a different realm. I'll give you a, I'll give you a caveat. I had a high school athletic trainer. He had a PhD and I did take his sports medicine course, but that didn't send me on the path. Although Mm -hmm. 10 years after my athletic training degree, my sister, I think my parents were like cleaning out the house and my sister sent me papers that I had written from high school that I hadn't seen in forever. And one was like a professional, it was from a class like career counseling or something. Mm -hmm. And I had to choose three or four professions to write about. And I picked like uh, medicine, dentistry and athletic training and i had no idea like i did not remember writing about athletic training in high school oh my gosh that's funny <laughs> very random <laughs> so it was meant to be i, I was destined a little, a little at prophecy some point. yeah yeah <laughs> you manifested it without even without even knowing <laughs> right exactly so we do here on at corner like to pair evidence and experience that's one of our main goals so with this idea of serving underserved communities. Um, could you guys help us kick it off with a story or an experience or a case study about this topic? Yeah, definitely. Go I got, ahead. A, so I got a real recent, real recent one. Yeah. So Chris and I started this nonprofit at last athletic trainers, leveraging activism for social for transformation, social transformation <clears throat> which the purpose of this nonprofit that we started four years ago is to improve health equity for athletes from underserved communities. A big initiative that we had great success with in 2023, we have titled our ERA program, which is taking athletes from underserved communities that have insurance plans you know, Medi-Cal, the HMO system, which are ostensibly going to fail them if they need long-term rehab. So we take them through the ERA, uh, Elite Rehab Accelerator, and from start to finish, we provide them, I would say, above the gold standard of care. So that's prehabilitation. We have this nine-point improvement system that we work through. Prehabilitation, No limitation on how many rehab visits they can have. Ride shares that pay for them to and from visits, so removing barriers to care. We recently partnered with a supplement company to provide amino acid supplementation that has been demonstrated to limit muscle atrophy, probably potentiate wound healing, and some other benefits in the perioperative period. I don't even think I hit nine points, but I think you get the <laughs> gist of how we're trying to improve access to care and just the quality of care that athletes 
receive. And so hmm. uh, a real life example, a case study, one of many is uh, this young basketball player. He started uh, the 12-month ACL rehab under the ERA in November. And we asked him for some media things to, we asked him the question, what does our nonprofit, what does Atlas, what has that program, the ERA program meant to him? And he, this is a quote from this athlete. I felt my help, my hope restored that I would be able to return to love what I do for my team that relies upon me. And we just see disparate outcomes for athletes from underserved and underrepresented communities. When they need to go through something like an ACL surgery, they wait more than three months sometimes to have the surgery. They have a limited number of PT visits, like basically the opposite of what I shared at the beginning that we have tried to solve for these athletes. And so one piece of it is the sports medicine care. But I think the second piece of it, which is a bit hard for me to articulate, is letting these student athletes, these young individuals in communities that are underserved and underrepresented know that they matter, that there's organizations like ours that care about them as humans Mm -hmm. enough to try to solve some of these issues of our system for them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And in those particular ways too, right? Oh, we can, you can get help and served in the, the world of sports as well or in sports medicine so you don't have to wait until you've achieved certain accomplishments get to the division one school or wherever you end up going and then receiving that care because that's typically what happens but there's a there's a slew of kids who arguably won't make it to that next level but definitely can because of these these disparities so we're just trying to bridge that gap and to give some numbers to the underserved and underrepresented students that we're talking about just in la and vicinity of la so not even all of california not even all of southern california one county in southern california (laughs) yeah well and some adjacent counties for the number that i'm going to define but right nearly 203,000 on a yearly basis student athletes at the secondary school level have an insurance a type of insurance that's going to fail them if they need long-term rehab and I mean long-term by like more than a couple of weeks yeah Mm -hmm. that's 99% of those that student athlete population and so just on a yearly basis there's a great need in 2023 we affected a small percentage of that 99%, but we hope that number grows over time. Nice. That's awesome. That's really cool. Can you help us define what that underserved population is? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you go from like a Webster's dictionary definition, you'll find something to the effect of groups that have limited or no access to resources and are disenfranchised underserved and underrepresented populations stem from systemic issues poor education system in the united states this is not adam's opinion this is just (laughs) stats and statistics this is a microcosm of 
the society we live in today. Keep going, my guy. So the healthcare system, the education system, systemic racism, biases that occur in our healthcare system from the patient side, the provider side, all lead to individuals being underserved and underrepresented. There's, there's marginalized. Yep. Yeah. So our system is probably not going to change in the near future, but we feel at at last that our leverage comes from our connections in the sports medicine and athletic training community, our experience, our board has some incredible individuals which have over a hundred plus years of organizational leadership and sports medicine experience. So we feel even though we may not affect every life that needs to have some impact, we can, we can make a small change. Yeah. Which could make a big change in someone's life. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the piece is the ripple effect that occurs with just teaching one individual that they matter, that people care about them, that they should receive this level of healthcare despite what our society is saying otherwise. Because then that affects their teammates, it affects their coaches, it affects their athletic training staff at some of these schools that actually have an athletic trainer, and it affects their parents, it affects their siblings. Their community. Yep. Their community. Right. For a lot of these kids, the athletic trainer, and this is for places that even have one, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that's the only point of contact to any sort of medical care, you know? So when you when we really talk about it impacts the community, we don't mean that lightly, right? Because mm-hmm. they're coming in and asking an athletic trainer about like uh, their tia and their auntie and grandma and nana and my sister bumped his head or bumped her head last night, and you know, so so that really that definitely affects community because it's yeah. So absolutely, um, and it also. Oh, go, no, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say it. Also, kind of like like you said, like being able to show like what care like these student athletes should be getting because if they don't see that, they just think how the healthcare system is. Oh well, that's just that's just what it is. So yep. it sets it You're changes exactly that right. tone. Like oh, I know yep. what I what I should be getting. Right. Because they don't know what they can't can't what they could get. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then there's no there's and then so how do you and then you layer on top of that some of the other systemic issues that Adam talked about that are historical. I think it's important to recognize that some of these systems are very historical and ancient, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, influenced by horrible people, right? Or people with with horrible outlooks on life, you know, however you want to put it. Um, I, I, Ibram, a guy named Ibram Kendi says it best, and I really appreciate his perspective. Um, because it's not as harsh and it helps people to understand and, and kind of deal with it a little, a little better, but people who promote racist ideology, because that's really what it stems from. Racism is an ideology that then gets, you know, maybe at one point in time for many people was intentionally acted upon, um, but now today due to the, but then they create all these crazy systems that Adam talked about. So it's like embedded in things. 
And so now you have racist ideologies that are perpetuated a lot of times unbeknownst to people. And I don't care what color your skin is, right? I can perpetuate racist ideologies, right? And so that's what I appreciate about Ibram's perspective is that it it kind of, <laughs> it removes this strong finger pointing, you know, um, shaming kind of thing to say like, Hey, this is something that you can, you can, you can affect the change within yourself and within others around you. Right. You know, it's not rather than just this label being smacked on you, like, Oh, so-and-so is racist or so-and-so this person promotes racist ideologies. We can, we can leave it at that. you right. Um, I'm not God to, to really judge a person's heart. I mean, I can look at the fruit. I can look at the fruit. I can tell the fruit. I can tell the tree by the fruit that it produces, you know, we some fruit inspectors. Right. But, um, anyway, I digress. Um, but, but yeah, those are some of the ways that we can define that population and, um, realize what it is that we want to do with them. Um, I think it's a good analogy, right? The other one is, hey, that how can we define that population just on a more general term um, is recognizing that there are people who deserve to eat, but aren't eating for a variety of reasons because they don't have the resources, whatever, right? And so, so then it's like, hey, we can give them food or we can give them a fish to eat. They eat for a day. Um, the other way we can identify them is, okay, they don't have food, but they also, some of them don't know how to go get the food. So they don't know how to fish. So then it's like, okay, we teach them how to fish. They can eat for a lifetime. And then some, sometimes it's like, okay, that's good enough. But then we say, no, well, that's actually not good enough. Cause okay, they know how to fish, but they need resources. Where do, where do they get the fishing pole? Where do they get the bait? Where do they, you know, so then we resource them with the, with the tools so that they could be self-sufficient or rely on their own skill sets and abilities. And then the last piece is showing them where to go get the access, right? How can you access the food? How can you get to the pond so that you can go fish and then bring the food back? So with that framework, you have a lot of ways that we can, we have a lot of ways that we can identify this, this, mar you know, some of these marginalized communities, um, or people, um, where we can, where we can step in and, and, and provide a helping hand or a hand up, not a handout. So I was going to say that that's already kind of tying in to, uh, what maybe some of these barriers are. So what, what would you guys see as like barriers for these, these patients? There's a lot. We alluded to some of them. One is transportation. So if you live in a community that doesn't have a quality rehab center close by where you can't walk or catch an easy bus ride, or you don't have a parent that can drive you to and from, or you don't own a car. So there's many factors to transportation being a barrier. Mm -hmm. Access to quality food, nutrition, amounts of protein, knowledge of that is a significant barrier to re your recovery after uh, knee surgery and many other surgeries. So food deserts to that point, I would add that, right? That's a big barrier, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. You could, growing you up could eating say, top ramen and the inexpensive foods, you know, right? Which will get you by without a doubt, but we all know how wonderful that stuff tastes, but <laughs> it's not very nutrient 
nutrient dense, you know. Right. And that, so, so yeah, I mean, that's recovery. We could performance would be a whole other topic based on nutrition. Another barrier is just the healthcare system. Another barrier is not having an athletic trainer at your high school, which if you talk about LAUSD alone, they have 80 some schools, only six or seven of them currently have an athletic trainer that works wow. on site. This is sport at 60. Some of those have football, a collision sport. Wow. They are making now, some efforts to work on that. I will say, right. Sure. Awesome. They, sure they right. are. So, so, so that's one point I wanted to make about barriers. This, the, the other piece is we have noticed in our work that just having that one person on site as a bit of a coordinator allows us the connection to these athletes to then help them. It's really hard mm -hmm. to give away free health care. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way, especially the, the level crazy. of health care that we are giving away. Mm -hmm. So another that leads me to my thought of people are barriers. Coaches are barriers. Administrators mm -hmm. are barriers. And not purposefully. Right. They just don't have the knowledge that we have. And sometimes it's hard to convince people to have our passion and purpose because it's not the work that they do and they're leading their lives that are really busy and overwhelmed. And so, uh, people can be barriers. Yeah. And more specifically, I'll elaborate on that fear, distrust. Mm -hmm. Those are specific things that are barriers, right? Which, and uh, this is important to like call out specifically. So then that you then know how to, it, that informs your practice right? So it's like, oh, if you're fearful, we got to figure out what it is that they're afraid of. If they distrust, we got to read that. Okay. Our expectation is not to come in and serve right away. We need to just establish relationship and rapport. We need to maybe figure out ways to show up, show our credibility, be consistent with something so that the trust starts to develop, right? And then maybe the fear starts to go down, which therefore the barrier starts to drop, you know? So go ahead, Adam. Sorry. So other common ways you'll hear barriers defined is social determinants of health. Bingo. And there's just, we could go on and on at the topic. I think we've done some justice <laughs> of, 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 of how to define that. I just got the picture of like one of these, you know, I don't know, Mission Impossible or whatever, where all the red lasers are all over the place. And I think that's yeah. an apt picture of you know accessing healthcare man like for us in our even in our small little journey with our small slice of the pie it often feels like we've got to try to maneuver around all of these red lights so we don't set off any triggers um and other barriers that adam talked about are like or that he maybe something he didn't mention or even like larger organizations or associations just due to like ignorance is a barrier you know mm -hmm. i mean we'll, we'll try to go and get support from you know, especially early on, we would try to get support from bigger organizations that you would think would be down to rock with this and barriers, you know, so mm -hmm. all from all angles, we're like, damn, we're like, we can't, excuse me, we can't get, we can't get around, you know, so we got to, you know, kind of almost feel like you got to walk on the eggshells. So we're just like setting all the damn alarms off. We don't care. Like, <laughs> let's just get it done. You know, <laughs> the analogy, God, I, I, I'll leave you with two other things that I think you'll commonly see from like the national national Institute of health. Uh, income is, is an obvious mm -hmm. one. You know, the 
more money you have, the better access you have to healthcare and all the things we talked about. But one thing that I think is really important to our work and how we strategize even just our ERA and an upcoming mental health accelerator that we hope to roll out in 2024 is mental health. So just stress of your environment, how you're raised in early life, how trauma impacts your health outcomes is huge. So literally, if you're chronically stressed or you are or have a traumatic past, which these are not uncommon things in underserved communities, that will affect your outcome after, let's say, an ACL surgery. It's absolutely going to affect your outcome in returning to play from a concussion. Mm-hmm. I could Absolutely. go on and on and on the injuries that are impacted by chronic levels of stress and, and or history of trauma. And so part of our programming is mental health screening that you just don't see in these levels of sports medicine because of resources, not even having a staff member on site, the amount of time it takes to dig through that literature and understand that literature to be effective in your screening and then uh, implementation processes of mental health things. So just another example of, uh, the uphill battle that most student athletes go through in terms of remaining on the field, remaining in the classroom, but then the exponential issues that you see in athletes that just don't have a level playing field based on how they were brought into this world. Um, I'm relating to a lot of this as far as what I'm seeing with working um, at my previous job as my current job Mm -hmm. um, with getting access for students to mental health resources, because that too is something that is needed and something that is wanted. But sometimes even if we have the resource, you know, that, and we have resources on campus, but sometimes there's still barriers to yeah. getting these student athletes yeah. to these resources, even though they're on campus, they don't need transportation. So we are trying to bridge the gap mm-hmm. in that. So just adding on all the things that you guys are talking about, transportation and access and insurance and other things, I can kind of see how it relates. Yeah, look, I have much privilege in my life from my income, the color of my skin, my health insurance, my knowledge of the medical system <laughs> and mm-hmm. education and training. And I have barriers to mental health care. Right. Two years ago, I was trying to find a therapist and I think it was November and they scheduled my visit in April. Ooh. So imagine individuals who don't have or or who have many more barriers than I have and and maybe their knowledge is okay I guess I just have to wait until April but mm-hmm. because of my knowledge and privilege I didn't wait until April I just sought yes. other resources and other right. avenues and other paths mm-hmm. yep wow and you know what? it kind of goes back to the whole systemic um like problem of like, especially with mental health care, like that's not covered in a lot of these insurances. So now that's like, if you want to have quality mental health care, you're more than likely gonna have to pay out of pocket. So it just makes that even harder in, in that realm of the healthcare system. 
Yeah, spot on. What would you guys say were some other unforeseen circumstances due to these barriers? I think a a big unforeseen circumstance is the message it sends to young children Mm. that this is the norm of life. Mm -hmm. And some other unforeseen consequences, I think, are, let's say you Let's say you don't get the rehab you need. You don't get to come to Atlas ERA program. You may that may be your college education that is gone for a lot of student athletes. Mm-hmm. It may be you have a concussion, you don't get appropriate care, and now you're struggling in class and, and now you're a year behind and then just the the domino effect. And so this is this is hard work and it pains me on a daily basis to know all of these statistics and this data that I've had to learn to try to navigate how we create our programming. But then I'm also rejuvenated when we have some success stories and just knowing that hopefully these individuals that we have impacted can go back and serve in similar ways throughout their lifetime so that over time, we reduce some of these unforeseen consequences that you pose that question to. I I think it's important to to highlight another unforeseen circumstance on the other side in terms of as a provider. Um, These discrepancies or these systemic issues impact the provider or the caregiver as well because the things that they don't know leads to poor outcomes or whatever, right? I mean if I don't have enough cultural awareness, if I don't have enough societal awareness to even recognize that these systems are in place, even if I'm, you know, I'm a great person, but if I don't recognize that this great person is operating in a jacked up system that dehumanizes a lot of people or uh, promotes, you know, um, promotes or discriminates or whatever, um, I can walk around just aloof. And so if I have, you know, just practical stuff for an athletic trainer, for instance, if I've got said athlete who comes in and speaks sternly to me or is frustrated because they're dysregulated because nobody understands how to talk to them or nobody understands the barriers that they had to face in order to eat, in order to show up to the athletic training clinic or, you know, and even if there's no physical barriers, the mental barriers, right, to show up in the athletic training clinic to, you know, to the point made earlier, it's like, well, sometimes we have access and those physical barriers may not be there, but there's still those mental barriers that are there. It's like, oh, I could, all I have to do, all you have to do is just walk 20 feet to the clinic. You know, you're already there. There's still so many mental barriers that are, so my point is for the practitioner, if, if we are unaware of that, some of these unforeseen circumstances that, that come up is now we start giving these these athletes a bad rap oh they're just non-compliant oh um they don't really want the help Mm -hmm. they don't really care we they have everything they need why don't they just you know and that's such an ignorant perspective Mm -hmm. and it definitely leads to some of these unforeseen circumstances you know and once you realize those things as as a provider you're like oh dang I didn't realize that, you know? 
I want to I want to double down on that point, Chris. I think that is very salient. I've been on the other side of that as a healthcare provider. <laughs> Me too. L- labeling as a black healthcare provider. So yeah, yeah. Labeling a student athlete as soft, non-compliant. They don't come for treatment, right? I think mm-hmm. we should all challenge ourselves to ask why. Because maybe that person had a father that died the week before. Maybe that mm-hmm. person has a mother with cancer. I mean, these are real things that are happening in people's lives. So when we remove our biases and our why we are triggered by that athlete not wanting the care that we think they need or or should have, I think we start to unravel this onion of the intricacies of people's lives and we realize that Maybe we just need to help them get the care they need versus mm-hmm. label them as soft or non-compliant or whatever. Th- all the labels that we do on a regular basis because we're humans. Mm-hmm. And we're dysregulated ourselves. What about this mm-hmm. one? Uh, so, you know, we, we give the kids who come in a bad rap because they're always complaining about something. So we start to wonder if their pain is real, right? And while that's a while we do know that it may not be, there to your point, like, Rather than us kind of mocking them, which I'm guilty of, or dismissing them, which I'm guilty of, and maybe it's true that they act, they may not have pain or they may, but they're coming into your clinic and they're coming in proximity to you for some other reason. Yeah, they have a need. Right. And so, but, mm-hmm. but, but because we don't have enough time or because we are dysregulated as the practitioner or we feel rushed. Or we may not, we may not think we know the answer. That's another one. Where it's like, man, we tried everything. There's nothing wrong with you. And it's like, maybe it's actually not about their ankle. Yeah. But they're feeling the pain in their ankle. But maybe it's actually not about their ankle. Maybe they just want you sit down and talk to them and ask them how their day was. Right. Let's see yeah, how that so outcome um, might happen. Yeah. What? So Adam I, was saying. Gonna, Adam was oh, saying. Go ahead. Go ahead, um, you know, someone could have someone at home with cancer or something mm-hmm. big. Whereas there's also things that are small in their life, like maybe their dog's not doing well or is nearing the end of their life, or maybe there's something that's, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. Relationship for us, that'd be a big thing, but like, like something that wouldn't as to see to someone else would not be seen as something as big, you know, quote unquote. Yep. Because perception is everything. So if, if whatever that stressor is, is bothering them enough, then it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. So we talked about those, like, again, like that was a good point about that mental barrier of getting to the athletic training room. Cause you're right. Sometimes it's like, it's just, just a couple steps. So what yep. are some strategies that like ATs can do to help promote a more inclusive, maybe equitable environment, making that, that mental barrier, maybe a little bit easier to overcome about coming into the athletic training room. Cheap plug, go listen to our podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, because That's we talk, talk at though. length, at length. And so therefore, maybe even ad nauseum for a lot of people um, about some of these things. Right. But that, so anyway, but more seriously, we, you know, at, at, we have a couple of things that, that folks can do. I, I think um, practically starting with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror, the person in the mirror. Right. Um one of our guests on the show uh, was a guy named Dr. Stuart Shanker, which he, uh, what a critical moment in my life, right? That's a, that's a, that's a definitely a touch point when I got exposed to his, his stuff, 
because he wrote a book and has a whole, you know, model based on self-regulation. And so, and and in that self-regulation, he helps identify the things that can dysregulate us, right? Environmental factors, biological factors, so many things, right? Some of the students we are dealing with are dysregulated and some of their barriers are their actual injuries and or illnesses, some of mm-hmm. which they may not even be aware of because they don't, yeah. you know, so a lot of people don't even know what well and good and healthy feels like. Right. And so um, and and we don't do any better in our institutions because we teach to sickness and illness rather than health and wellness for the most part. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so 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 starting with the person in the mirror, I a cheap plug for Dr. Shank. I don't get paid to for that, but I, I think picking up the book self-reg or just Googling self-reg and just familiarizing yourself with the concepts, um, you know, even that would help. Uh, tremendously, because then once you're better regulated, it puts you in a state of mind to be able to see more clearly, listen more effectively, and just basically have more compassion that I believe the human race has an innate ability to do. But there's just so many, there's so many barriers or so many things that have jaded and um, pirated the human spirit. I'll I'll double down on that. that. That say... Um, that talk about dysregulation. And I think there needs to be more things that talk about regulation and how to actually get there. So Fred, Dr. Schenker's work will do just that. Yeah. He's, he's an OG. I I was going to say, I'll double down on Chris's point of how you bring yourself to interaction with people. Even if you are even if you are, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. There's evidence to show that if you just show people empathy, you benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So even if you came at it from a purely selfish, selfish yeah. standpoint, it, you're helping yourself. So yeah. take the other side of it and just yep. say, I'm going to present myself as empathetic because it's going to help this person and it's going to help me at the same time. There's a good children's book called How Full. Well, it's a big book too, an adult book called How Full Is Your Bucket. I think oh. that's the title. But that it's that same concept, right? So if you put a drop in somebody else's bucket, not only is it beneficial for them, but a drop goes in your own bucket too. Hmm. An- another analogy. That's like seven analogies today, Chris. <laughs> Rolling, bruh. Six, six early morning analogies. Seven before seven. Stimulating. We got yes, this. There you go. <laughs> In the AT so another, corner. <laughs> that's us. Um, so another actionable thing that we that we want to touch upon is what ATs can do to promote an inclusive and equitable environment. Man, these are these are obviously like big big questions. Yes, right? yes. For sure. Honestly, this, but the, some of these yeah. are also to try to just get us to start thinking about yes, where good. to mm-hmm. start. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um because some are, pe- some people don't even take the time to think about that and yes. and mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course I do that. Of course I do that. But do you really? Like where's right. that self-reflection? Good. Uh, so I'll give an easy one, which is some very easy to do kind of self-directed education. 
University of South Florida has a DEI certification program. I think it's like $50 or $100. You get a certificate at the end. It's not long coursework. It's videos. And it's excellent just to give you an understanding of how you can create a more inclusive environment in your workspace. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe one other practical one is for, hey, the, at the very next moment you have, go and talk to an athlete beyond their physical stuff. Go and talk to an athlete beyond their injuries or whatever. Um, and maybe start by sharing your sharing something about you. Um, yeah. So maybe, you know, that's another maybe practical thing. And it may, it may seem like ineffectual or irrelevant, but it, de it definitely is relevant, right? Like you're starting to help build that rapport and things mm -hmm. like that. Right. Obviously you don't overshare. Right. But just, when you go in and talk to that athlete, they're, they might expect you to ask them about their ankle or whatever, but just tell them about your day. Man, I had a good day today, you know, and tell them why. Or, man, this weekend was kind of tough for me and tell them why real briefly, you know, and that might be another way to. And, and if it doesn't work the first time, keep try it again and again, you know, because um, trust takes time, you know, so mm -hmm. might be another one. I like but like I said, idea. that's a big yeah. question, right? So there's people are researching these things and talking about these things on much larger platforms than we are, but that's maybe some of the low hanging fruit. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Got to start somewhere. Got to start. That's a great, yep. Great phrase. So we touched on it a little bit about at the beginning of just talking about your guys' mission at, at last. Um, but you know, now going on the flip side of talking to your admin about like, Hey, how can we improve just how we touch the topic of inclusion and equity and how we can improve our care and that, how do you kind of bring that conversation up to administrators? I'm going to, I'm going to add in real quick that exactly, exactly. With the idea that a lot of people think that it is a topic that is talked about too much um yep. Yep. so they're gonna just look past it and put it on the back burner see the buzzwords exactly yep. one thing so, that i'll say let me just say this real quick adam i think it it might it, it's hard to consider but it's you can do it it's it's it might not be a topic that is worth talking about so much early on Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out a way to actually just do something. It's maybe some of these things that we talked about um, mm -hmm. and even doing something with the administration, right? Whatever that looks like, inviting them into something, sending them to whatever it is. I don't know, but it's, it's more so doing something um, and then having this, it's a risk that you take and having the mm -hmm. courage to say, sorry, it later, you know, if it's something that's off the beaten path or something that the, you know, um, so, so anyway, I was going to say just generally speaking, because of the things that we just said, man, there's a lot of talk. There was a quote that came to my mind, but it was real fuzzy. So it was, it was hard for me to, uh, to repeat it, but it was something to the tune of like, um, there's a, there's a lot of talking that we do about things, um, mm -hmm. 
but especially with admin and things like that. And that, and talking is important, but um, but just you know, even with the admin, you do figure out a way to do it with your actions. Uh, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but Adam, what are you going to say? I could give some examples, but let's let's hear what Adam has to offer. I'll give an example, but I'll I'll give a thought that just came up with the question as well. So for an example, I think try to integrate or utilize resources. So maybe we come or Atlas comes to an institution and discusses some of these barriers to athlete care. Mm -hmm. Maybe larger organizations that do more of this consulting work come to speak on that sort of thing. Right. Because if you get people with a bit of knowledge that can present it well, people tend to listen more. Mm -hmm. And then you remove your relationship with that administrator because they're going to have a different, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're going to respond differently if it's coming from a close relationship, potentially. It's like my son. I'll tell him the same yeah, thing somebody else tells him. And he's like, oh, I get it now. It's like, I did the same literally, thing. Too. Yeah. Literally me. Literally yes, I know. From Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told um, my son about sugar and whatever. And he's like, oh, dad. And then Adam tells him about this. He says this. I got the information from Adam. Right. <laughs> and then Adam says it. And he's like, oh, hey, dad, I'm making these changes. And I'm like, oh, great, son. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Adam. What else? <laughs> so it made me think about just expectations. So this is, as you said, Sandy, People are tired of hearing these sort of things, which yeah. is fine. But the reality is change still needs to happen. And change is probably going to need to happen before we die, even literally. Mm. So uh, there's this quote that rings in my head a lot from a therapist that I've worked with, which is expectations are predetermined disappointments. Yeah, there you go. Chris is holding up. I uh, post that's on my laptop. Post a note of that. So just temper your expectations when you are trying to affect change in any, Mm, not even, not even with diversity and equity inclusion in life. In life, not to mean that you can't be passionate and you can't have a plan and you can't work really, really hard when you haven't met those expectations, but I think there's a high potential to feel disenfranchised when you bring things to it, an administrator and things are constantly shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just have appropriate expectations and understand it's probably going to take several discussions for you to affect change in your work. Well, also realizing so. that administrators a lot of times um, have a lot brought to their plate. Yeah. So they That's have right. to pick yep. and choose what yes, they're indeed. interested in. So if you yep. can do it in a way that, makes them feel like they are making the change or that they're it's something on their interests mm-hmm. yeah at the, at the very bottom level um, that's really yeah. where we need to get it started yeah. have it be their idea like i really like Amen. what you said chris exactly. about bringing them in and seeing what you're doing because it might spark that yeah. action on their end man For we sure. you you got this piece started now we can continue this in the department yes. So many administrators are aloof and not intentionally for yeah, the reasons right. that you just mentioned, you know, that the, the, their post is in that ivory tower. That's where they have to go and do their work. 
yeah. you know? And so sometimes, and it's hard to get out of that tower, right? You might have intent because I've been in that tower to some extent, right? And mm-hmm. you might have intentions to get out of that tower on your own will, but then on your way out, there's so many things that can force you back in and cause you to stay in. Oh man, I got to get to this, man. I was on my way out to come and see you. I, I couldn't make it out. You know, I mean, that's how athletic trainers, how do we feel about that in, in Hey, I want to go watch practice. I want to come, I'm going to come to everybody's game. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's always something that can. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point is yeah. Once they, but once we, if, if we can get them out to see it, or if they can't see it, maybe we'll bring it to them. Let's shoot some videos. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, take a look at this in your tower. That might entice them to come out a little more, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. On the flip side, I will say, this is a really hard thing to do to solve or create change regarding DEI. But if you do that, culture is going to be banging wherever you work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Banging means... um it's going to be lively. It's going to be healthy. It's going to be well. It's going to be thriving. Look, what we, I just modeled, this is what it's about, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Like some folks don't have, a, even have an awareness of like their audience. They're, they, they yeah. don't, you don't know how, you have to learn how to read a room, right? Even, right? Like we don't know all the different listeners that are listening to this podcast. And Adam used a term that, some may banging. What did he mean? Like, is he going to be hitting on something? <laughs> you know, is the culture going to be hitting? It's like, yeah, actually, the culture is going to be slapping. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can go and look up that urban dictionary or something so you'll understand what we're communicating. But yeah. You ready for some action? Yes, especially with a topic like this. Action is the big word. Hmm. So we like to finish up our episodes with an action item, something that athletic trainers, beyond what we've already talked about, I feel like we have a couple of actionable items already, but um, just something actionable that we want ATs to know about working with underserved populations, just tie us up. Regulate yourself. (laughs) Great. I love love that. I'm going to take it. A slightly different direction. I would just say support our organization. And <laughs> hey, yeah, word up. <laughs> and and look, I support. It. So so, financial impact is huge for the work that we do. We need money, yeah. but support doesn't look just like giving dollars. Support looks like connecting with us on social social media, so Instagram, LinkedIn rating our podcast, listening to the podcast, volunteering, doing your own fundraising, just having a conversation. If if you want us to speak about these initiatives on your campus or through Zoom, that's all support. Support is just getting the word out at times. And so that might look like you have an uncle that works for an entity that might be a supporter of our organization and creating a, a warm handshake. So, yeah. And, and supporting our organization isn't it, it. Well, just for those who need the, the link to be made, I, I like, I appreciate Adam being so forthright about that is because supporting the organization isn't just about our egos or whatever. It's going to help some of these action items that might be, you know, more advanced or, um, require more, more lifting that 
will happen. And but you took the action by supporting and bringing awareness and things like that, which continues to enable us and put gas in the tank and fuel in the fire for us to continue to do some of these things. And it'll keep you connected to the movement so that you can stay aware of maybe more practical things that you can be doing in your own life, in your own practice and joining arms with us. Right. Even if you're not intentionally trying to like if you are doing the work of trying to affect change in some of the many ways that we talked about, you're, you're partnering with us. We got the same mission, you know? So whether our name is on it or not, we don't really care about that. Um, we just want to see the work happening. So yeah, support at last. I'd, I'd be remiss not to end with thanking people who have supported us in the past mm. and continue to support mm -hmm. us. And, uh, especially partners like, Accelerated Recovery, Move Lab, Evolution, PFATS. I'm probably missing some, but those are Man, big. even just from the beginning, right? AT Vantage, um, just from the, like, from the roots, from, <laughs> from yeah. the cradle, you know, like th due to our inception, right? Birthing, birthing, helping birth the podcast, um, early board members and, and early supporters who came along. Yeah, you, yep. Good, good point, Adam. Uh, we are appreciative for all of that so far. And that's all a part of the work, you know? Well, I think we'll, we'll make an impact on a lot of ATs through this. So thank you so much, yeah, both of you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate that. I really like what Chris said at the end there. I, I feel like that's just very, you have to, when serving other people, you have to also consider yourself, but you can't put, it's like a fine balance. Like yeah. you have to put yourself first, but you also have to, you have to put yourself first so that you can put them first. Does yes. that make sense? Yes, for sure. Um, also like, I think one thing to appreciate with the conversation that we had with both Adam and Chris is just how there's not just one right answer for like for this topic, you know, there's a lot of different variables, but I think the biggest thing is just starting that conversation and, you know, trying to get those resources in place and getting those tools and, and kind of, again, just that reflection aspect of being able to take a step back and kind of look at what we're doing, how could we do it better? Um, and how is this affecting, you know, somebody else for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we are, if you guys are new, we do every other episode as education or stories. This one was an education episode. Next week, we are going back to our stories or you can hop on our Instagram stories at AT Corner Podcast and submit your story or your experience in the sleuth of um, experiences and stories we get from other athletic trainers. Um, we also have a Facebook group. So if you want to continue this conversation, head over to facebook.com slash group slash AT Corner Podcast where we will post an episode thread so you can comment on that um, or you can jump on any of the other threads we have on there. Um, and I think that's all I have right now. Do you have anything else? Nope. That was perfect. Thank you for helping us showcase Athletic Training behind the tape. Bye. <laughs>